And now I am proud to announce college football's greatest trivia game, Kong Quiz. Welcome to Kong Quiz. I am your host, Chris Arledge, and this is a game that is all about USC football and college football and really any other topic that I decide to throw out there for our two competitors. <laughs> Contestants will answer questions about, uh, about the topics we bring up. The rules are very simple. Uh, very simple. Each competitor will have an opportunity to answer the question. Points are awarded for right answers. Points may be deducted for terrible answers. Right answers are answers I like. Wrong answers are those that I don't. I am judge, jury, and executioner on Kong Quiz. There are no appeals. Now, we have with us today two fearsome competitors, both of them a little bit past their primes, if we're going to be completely honest with ourselves, but fearsome nonetheless. <laughs> so let's introduce, let's introduce our two champions. First, we have a veteran of John McKay's legendary teams from the early and mid-1970s, a starting inside linebacker and team captain, a two-time national title winner, maybe, certainly a three-time <clears throat> Rose Bowl participant, and I believe... Recovered two fumbles in what is probably the greatest football game ever played. We welcome Kevin Bruce. Kevin, glad to have you. Glad to be here. And um, your introduction was uh, most charitable, and uh, your rules reminded me of the NC2A uh, with the uh, topic near matter. Well, this is, that's correct. And I am going to be a fair-minded folk just like the NCAA was. And... Um, Let's introduce our other competitor, also from the defensive side of the ball, but a little bit younger, a little bit more fleet of foot. This competitor was a key part of Pete Carroll's turnaround project at USC, a state champion in the 100-meter in high school, I believe, a starting quarter on USC's Orange Bowl winning team in 2002, uh, and a very familiar name and face to uh, all USC fans. Welcome, Daryl Rideau. Yeah, thank you for having me, especially on this show. And you talked about being past my prime. I think the expiration on the milk references the amount of time that I go running. The only running I do now seems to be my mouth. So I'm looking forward to this game. Uh, well, this game is perfect for you. You're not going to have to do anything but run your mouth here, Daryl, and I know you are up to it. So let's get started. We have no buzzer in Conquest. In Conquest, there is no room in the Conquest budget for buzzer. That all went to my private jet. So we're going to flip a coin to see who answers first. Daryl, call it in the air. Tails never fails. It did this time. The answer is heads. So, Kevin, you get to decide whether you will answer first or let uh, Daryl have the uh, first crack at the first question. I'll take the ball. All right. Question number one, Kevin, who is the best player you ever played with at USC and why? Oh, my gosh. Um, Sam Cunningham, best uh, athlete, uh, great leader, humble human being, and just beat the snot out of Ohio State in the Rose Bowl and smacked Woody around uh, from afar. It was a lovely thing. (laughs) Sam Bam. All right. Mm -hmm. Daryl, how about you? Best, Best USC player you ever played with? The best player that I've ever played with would have to be one of my teammates in the secondary, Troy Palomalo. Um, as soft as spoken as they are, you'll ever find in a guy. He would oftentimes sit in the, media, in the meeting room with the towel draped over his head, 
and quenching it um, in his mouth while we were watching film. But what made him so remarkable was not his cat-like instinct on the field, but that he squatted over 650 pounds, benched 515, had a 43-and-a-half-inch vertical, ran a 4-3-40, and was just a phenomenal athlete. And to the, to the extent that when he, got, when he left USC and went over to Pittsburgh, he had their coaching staff come back to Pete and ask Pete, how do you, Dick LeBeau that is, how do you get the most out of him? And you said, just let Troy be Troy. And so you'll find Troy in the secondary, lined up with the linebackers, or hovering around a line of scrimmage like an external defensive end. And he just finds a way to make plays. Best athlete I've ever played with. Okay, two very good answers. In fact, um, it's a tie. It's a tie for the first round, guys. It's a warm-up. You both get five points. All right, Daryl, we're going to stick with you. Um, similar question, but on the other side, who is the best opponent you ever played against while at USC? I would have to say, before he changed his name to Chad Ochocinco, Chad Johnson, playing at Oregon State 2001. I was a, a junior. It was his uh, senior year. was by far one of the most electric wide receivers I've ever competed against. Uh, he had a way of, of turning defenders around and was just – it had a phenomenal year. You know, they end up going to the Orange Bowl, played against Notre Dame, and I think they blew Notre Dame out. Um, coached under um, – I want to say it was Erickson at the time. But by, by far, I, I have to say that Chad Ochocinco. But he wasn't the, the one who talked the most trash I'd have to give that to Freddie Mitchell, who went over to UCLA, or who played at UCLA. The mouth of the South, Freddie Mitchell, was probably the one who talked the most, but superior uh, opponent, I'd have to give that to Chad Ochocinco, formerly known as Chad Johnson. All right, Kevin, you're up. Best opponent you ever played against while at SC. Yeah, this was actually easy, ironically. Uh, and, and a name that uh, some might be familiar with, many won't be, some of that's just age-related. Chuck Muncy, University of Cal. Wow. Um, high jump, seven foot. Um, had a 26 and a half or so uh, triple. Uh, incredibly uh, fast, 235 pounds easy, about 6'2", soft hands, catch. The only thing that, uh, that we could stop uh, him uh, routinely is when he took himself off the field because he didn't really like to get tired. Um, later on, it uh, turns out he did have a bit of an issue with uh, chemical dependency, which he has since uh, uh, turned around and is now is in the San Diego area, and he sponsors a, um, a clinic for troubled youth that have chemical dependencies. Two good answers. And I, so I'm going to give Kevin the round, and so Kevin what? leads 15 to 5. And wait. Daryl, we had to talk about this already. There is no appeal in Conquiz. And, and so because <laughs> you complained, the score is now 15 to 0. Now listen, the reason, and I will give an explanation, the reason I awarded that round to Kevin is because he surprised me with the answer. I was not surprised by Chad Johnson. It's a good answer. Great player and great Oregon State team. Uh, and, and you're right, not only did they blow out Notre Dame, but they celebrated on almost every down in that game. They probably had 
200 yards in personal foul penalties for unnecessary <laughs> celebration and still won by 40. It was glorious. But Chuck Muncie surprised me. So Kevin now leads 15 to 0. Okay. Kev, <coughs> because you're a humble guy, you will have no problem answering mm. this question. What was your worst screw up in a USC football game? Oh, the worst easy. mistake you personally ever made. Go ahead. Yep. Oh, easy. Uh, Rose Bowl, uh, junior year, uh, we're on the hour, four-yard line or so, maybe three and a half. Uh, Ohio State's got the ball first and goal. Uh, they go to a full, full house backfield uh, set. Uh, I know the play that's coming. It's the fullback, a uh, guy named uh, Chip Henson, I believe. Henson's last name. Uh, led the Big Ten in touchdowns for many, many years. Oh, by the way. And I knew what was coming, and I got right up up there and did not make the tackle and uh, actually ended up being more kind of a uh, a bit of a uh, uh, speed bump at best. Okay. That's not good. He's, so he scored a touchdown on the play? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I remember it. I got him later, okay. but he got me there. Now, don't, you don't get to talk about later. I, I asked you just screw up. Let's limit it to the question that's asked. Daryl? Your worst screw up. Well, he can't see out of one eye right now. I'm just telling you, okay? (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Okay, Daryl, I'm going to be honest with you. It's going to be tough to beat that answer, not because of the first part, but because of the uh, the brazen, unnecessary violence that uh, Kevin included at the end. Uh, But you got a shot anyway. What's your worst screw up in a USC uniform? Nineteen ninety nine, uh, my freshman year at USC, I was filling in for an injured Antoine Simmons, so I end up starting a the final few games of the year and um that year we were going up against UCLA in the Coliseum and we had Chad Morton who went on record uh USC had up until that point USC had lost um previous eight games and Chad Morton predicted our victory. So I put extra pressure on myself um, going into that game, and Freddie Mitchell, sure enough, uh, turned me around like a a top. Uh, He ran every time. It it seemed as though I was always one step behind him, no matter what he did. I I bid on every play-action pass, and I just wasn't mentally prepared, and it rattled me. And that's the last time that I went into any game at USC unprepared. I, I let the emotions of the game get the best of me. Now, we end up winning the game, but till this day, I still felt like Freddie Mitchell got the best of me. He didn't score, but in between the 20s, he wore me out. Freddie Mitchell. All right, so good answer by both players. Uh, Daryl is going to get the 10 points. And the reason he's going to get the 10 points is because Conquiz believes in winning the right way. And, uh, and Kevin's gratuitous violence against an opponent and bragging about it many years later is not winning the right way. It's now no, but it was a national 10. championship there, brother. Okay. Hey, listen, you're going to get a chance to tell your story. You're going to get a chance okay. to tell the story because everybody listening wants to know what you did to the guy's eye. Go ahead. Well, I, you know, you get in the box in the line of scrimmage, and sometimes one's hand gets under one, some opponent's face mask, and the finger goes into the eye, and it yep. pokes around a little bit, and people <laughs> scream, and they leave the game. I mean, what the heck? That's the way it goes. <laughs> that stuff happens. 
That's it's a full happens, body contact I, sport. That includes the eye. Yeah. All right, I take that back. I actually appreciate the story of gratuitous violence, and, uh, and I'm glad it happened. Uh, oh, it's purposeful. There's nothing gratuitous about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, Kevin, uh, Kevin Bruce maiming opposing players in uh, national championship games. I love it. 15 to 10, however. Uh, Kevin leads. All right, uh, who's up? I think, Daryl, you're up. All right. I want to ask you about the Coliseum makeover. Uh, that uh, that we're engaged in that hopefully that hopefully will be done fairly soon. And so I want your thoughts on the Coliseum makeover. Do you like it? Do you wish they would have done something different? If so, what? Uh, and a specific question from the um, the WRSC board about whether or not we should have given travelers some room to gallop again. What do you think about uh, the makeover? It's atrocious. Um, it's just demonstrative the the way that the the stadium now kind of hovers over over um, the um, the Coliseum, feels displaced and disjointed, almost like a Lego that's out of place. And when when you talk about um, removing a lot of your alumni and fan base, it could have been done differently to maintain the integrity of the historical preservation of the Coliseum. They could have taken advantage of something like that perhaps in the end zone um, on the peristyle end, kind of move that closer, put the suites there. Yeah, now one would say that it's not quite the 50-yard line, but the vantage point that one would get from the end zone from that perspective could, could have been phenomenal. I think that they could have done a better job of going out and identifying other um, coliseums or other stadiums that that resembled the shape of the Colise- of the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum and designed it according to that. The way that it's, it's shaped now and the lack of room that not only players and the player safety, but the fact that you're now limiting traveler from being able to parade around the field, which is one of the things that I've always looked forward to, is, is just – it really is distasteful that – that the committee would not have taken more into consideration when designing a stadium that would ultimately impact and disrupt the fan base. Okay, Daryl, you're out of time. Uh, Kevin, it sounds like Daryl is mildly in favor of the current plan. Uh, What is your position? (laughs) Um, Okay, I think I fall into the camp of it's an abomination. Lest there be any equivocation, you know, uh, from any quarters out there, uh, I totally hate it. Uh, I think the only the good thing is the seats have been replaced. That part, uh, there's just fewer of them than there should be. One, two, hey, uh, travelers got to run. I mean, come on. And there's times when, you know, frankly, if we want a good run game, just give the give traveler the ball for crying out loud. Let him run. Um, and Kevin, uh, who that, says that who says good. we want it? Who says we want a good run game? You well, are, we don't. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we we don't want a good run game. We just want to have a good run play. So we'll just try that. Anyway, the p- point is that it, it's uh, it, look as long as it has natural uh, surface, like like real grass, then at least that part is is retained, and, and uh, there'll be grass stains and you know all that kind of good stuff going on. Uh, but uh, as currently. Uh, 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 
promulgated out there. It's just, it's an abomination. It truly is. It's, this is the, as Daryl said, this is the LA Memorial Coliseum for crying out loud. Uh, it is, it is a, a, should be declared an, an historic landmark, um, which, oh, by the way, would have been an interesting uh, position for uh, people in authority to have made some while ago. Um, and the commission is just, uh, you know, uh, taking on the, uh, uh, love affair with uh, corporate sponsorship because it's not the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum anymore, is it? No, actually, I'm not sure we know what the name of it is right now. I think there's some controversy over that. Uh, both are good answers. Both answers are true, of course. Uh, neither one of you mentioned uh, the importance of having new cup holders. And so because of that, <laughs> you're both going to get only five points, not ten. And Kevin <laughs> maintains his five-point advantage. All right. We're talking about tradition. So I've got a couple of questions for you along these lines. First of all, I want to know what uh, the best USC game day tradition is. And, Kevin, I think you're up. Oh, gracious. Um, i tell you what. Uh, coming down the end of the tunnel, coming onto the field, um, in particular before Notre Dame at, at home, is awesome. It's just a great feeling. And um, that is a tradition um, that, uh, you know, frankly, I'll never forget. Daryl? Well, well, for me, it was a tradition that I didn't learn up until this year, and I'm kind of embarrassed to say, but I've always seen the traditions from the standpoint of a, of a player. But, when I, <clears throat> but now that I'm on the opposite side – tailgating around Tommy Trojan in the middle of campus and watching the band as they march through the heart of campus across the street through the Rose Garden and seeing the fans kick the light. There's like a, 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 a tin um, foil, so the to speak. Pole. Yes, yeah, the around the light, and they're kicking it. And I was like, why are everybody kicking it? And they're kicking it for um, the, the response that I got was, it's for good luck. <laughs> you know, and I didn't realize that it's little things like that, the superstitions that, that the fan base comes into the Coliseum with to give us as, former, as players or former players every opportunity and every vantage point to win. That was a tradition that I really appreciated. And it's little things like that that makes the, the Saturday uh, experience tailgating and going to games more meaningful. All right, good answers both. Uh, Daryl, you're going to get five points and tie this thing up, and I'll tell you why. It's because I'm envious that I never had the opportunity to run through the tunnel against Notre Dame, and because of that, I'm going to hold it against Kevin uh, and give you the point. So we are now tied at 20. Let's stick on this subject of tradition, uh, Daryl. Um, are there any acceptable changes to the USC football uniform, and if so, what acceptable changes would there be? Wow. Um, you know, I, I'm one who, when I was playing, I, I was very disappointed that USC didn't have the names on the back. But the more that I played in that jersey and the more I walked down that tunnel, I realized that, that there was a lot of tradition. And those who've come before me, you're, you're kind of wearing their, their spirit on your shoulders when you're, when you're lacing up the shoulder pads. So if there is going to be any changes, I wouldn't mind seeing some changes maybe made to the pants, 
but I love the fact that the integrity of the cardinal and gold doesn't change. No names on the back. I don't mind helmets, and I don't mind the pants, but I do like the fact that, that the tradition remains intact with no names on the back of jerseys. All right. So, Kevin, we have never discussed this topic in, in any of our many lunches together. So I don't know your answer, but I think I know your answer just because I know what kind of guy you are. Are there any <laughs> acceptable changes to the USC football uniform? If so, what are they? Well, uh, no, not really. Um, I like to see some grass stains on the offensive lineman's uh, pants from uh, pancaking the defense. I'd like to see that. That would, be okay. get, that would get me excited. You know what I mean? <laughs> I do know what you mean. I, I actually don't think that's a uniform change so much as it is a change in, it is now. Uh, in what's happening. On- <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, okay. So Kevin gets five points because he took a shot at the offensive line, and uh, anybody who's willing to take a shot at USC offensive linemen is more than willing to take a shot at me. So out of fear, I'm going to give him the five points. Kevin is up 25-20. Now, in in the announcement on the USC message board, I said that there would be questions on the Peloponnesian War. Um, There won't be, although... Uh, in the Peloponnesian War, you had maybe the most, one of the most famous of, uh, of ancient speeches, the Pericles Funeral Oration. And so we're going to go that direction a little bit. I want to hear, Kevin, the best speech you ever heard from either a player or coach that you were associated with. Uh, easy, easy. Uh, John McKay, halftime, Notre Dame, we're down 24-6, comes in. We, we do our normal halftime uh, program, which review a film from the first quarter, a little water, kind of get head squared away. We're not doing well. We're getting our uh, butts kicked. And he goes, gentlemen, there is no, and there is no rule that prevents us from blocking and tackling and running hard. So just go do that, and the second half will be very different, period. Okay? That was it. Very short, to the point. And uh, ironically, he was quite right. Played that much more vigorous second half. Didn't hurt having opening, uh, the uh, second half opening kickoff returned by Anthony Davis with an incredible uh, series of blocks from the, uh, the, the wedge, by the way. And if you look at some of the players in that wedge, they're incredible All-Americans and, and, uh, and players. So, anyway, that was a speech that I'll never forget, and it lasted mm, maybe 10, 12 seconds. Wow. Okay, Daryl, that puts you in a tough spot because he went straight to the 74 comeback game, and it's always tough to defeat the 74 <laughs> comeback game. So what do you got? The best speech from a USC player or coach that you were associated with? I, I go back again just to my playing days, uh, the year that Carson won the Heisman. There was a lot of hype going into our, our, our season. Um, our senior year, we had, we had um, <clears throat> built momentum and found ourselves ranked in the top ten. And uh, we had two early losses, one to Kansas State and one to Washington State. So coming into the game against UCLA at the Rose Bowl, we were ranked number seventh in the country. They were at 24. And... Our team, if, any, if anybody had been around them at the time in Pete's second year, was a very laid-back team, very confident and prideful. 
And why shouldn't we? We have the likes of Pete Carroll on the offensive side, Norm Chow. I mean, Norm Chow on the offensive side, and Pete and Dwayne Walker kind of spearheading our defense along with Ed Ogeron. So from a player standpoint, we were always prepared. And in an athletic standpoint, we felt like we can compete against anybody in the country. But it was that one particular game as we were warming up to play on a nationally televised game. um, And I think one of the commentators was the great, late, great Keith Jackson. We were very flat. There was no bounce to our step. There was no conversation. And I remember going into the to the um, into the locker room right before um, kickoff. As we were preparing, Pete comes in the room, and for the first time, I would never been known as a vocal leader, but because I was always more of a lead by example. We had other guys to do that, but I interrupted Pete right before he started, and Pete didn't stop me. He he gave me the floor. And I remember looking in the eyes of my teammates, and I said, and I remember saying to them in so many words, and I can't remember exactly what was said, but I'm sure it was documented, that when we go out there today against the Bruins, we need to play like men and fight like Trojans. And for the first time, I recall, I didn't see that fight in spirit. Needless to say, they took those words and we went out and we blew out UCLA 52 to 21. But it was just that moment where it was uncharacteristic of me to step up in front of our team, but given that platform and the respect of our peers, they listened. And it wasn't something that I wrote down. It was very spontaneous, but it was just looking in the eyes of, of my teammates and, and not seeing that same fire that I was accustomed to seeing. So while I can, you can appreciate that coming from a coach, when it comes from your teammate, a guy that you sacrifice mostly with, and then to get the type of results that you get where you blow out the Bruins in the, in the, um, the Rose Bowl, that to me was one of the most gratifying experiences that I've ever had as a Trojan. All right, that's a good answer, Daryl. And you're going to get the points and you're going to be tied up with Kevin right now. I, I, I have two comments on it. One is uh, somehow you convinced Carson Palmer to, uh, to, to flip all the way over on a run down the sideline. I remember early <laughs> in that game and the crowd went absolutely nuts. It was a great moment with a, when a Heisman trophy winning quarterback and a guy who's going to go number one uh, overall sacrifices his body like that. That was, uh, that was big. Number two, um, I know you well enough to, to find it hard to believe that you didn't talk very much. And so uh, I am going to award you points, but I'm not going to give you the full ten. I'm only going to give you five because I find that hard to believe. Okay? Well, when you got the likes of a Frosty Rucker, uh, trust me, it doesn't take much. And Fred Matua, those guys will chirp for me. Okay? All right. So. All, right. All right, guys, here's a tough question, right? Here's, here's the question. There's a, there's a game that sometimes people play, and I'm not going to repeat the game because uh, there's some inappropriate, um, inappropriate uh, language in the game. Um, but you'll probably know a game I'm talking about when I tell you what this game is. I call this game Attend, Donate, or Sinkhole. I'm going to give you three universities, and you have to tell me which one you would attend which one you would donate to, and by donate I mean 5% of your salary for the rest of your life, and which one you would choose just to have sink into a giant sinkhole 
go into the middle of the earth and never be heard from again, okay? That's it. Attend, donate, or sinkhole. Here are your three universities. Notre Dame, Stanford, UCLA. Daryl, you're up. Notre Dame, attend. Donate to Stanford. <laughs> and you can place them in a sinkhole right now, and I'll paint it cardinal and gold along the way down. The Bruins. All right. The Bruins, Bruins in the sinkhole. Bruins in the sinkhole. Uh, Kevin, you have a different answer, or uh, you the same? No, 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 different. Um, let's start with a sinkhole. That's Notre Dame. That's where they belong. Um, and for those of us that don't live in uh, California uh, and, and uh, have to transit through the state uh, with multiple passports, apparently, um, Notre Dame is so strong outside the boundaries of Southern California that it's just a lovely, lovely thing every year that we beat them, but it's been a while. Uh, so that's a sinkhole. They need to go away. Um, or at least, uh, well, they need to go away. Okay, uh, attend. Well, actually, I had a, uh, I was going to Stanford before I saw the error of my way and decided that USC was a much better choice. So I'd say, yeah, if I had to, I could attend Stanford. And 5% of my income for the rest, yeah, that's fine. I guess I'll give it to UCLA because it's just tax money anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I got so many issues with your, your with your answers, but I know I can't argue with them. But when, when you talk about an opponent like Notre Dame, the respect that I have for them, and the fact that they do it the right way, to the point where they're hated by ninety percent of the of the country who aren't Catholics, um, it's it, it would be hard pressed for me to see them in a sinkhole. Um, but hey, I respect your answer and the fact that you're uh, you're willing to donate to UCLA to keep them relevant. Uh, <laughs> I see where your, your your pity points come from. Well, there All right, you go. Listen, you're both wrong. Listen, stop. Just stop. Just stop. You're both wrong, and here's why you're both wrong. It's not that you're wrong to to relegate one of those two rivals to the sinkhole because let's be honest, both of them deserve it. That's not the issue. But the right answer for donate is Stanford. And the reason that's the right answer is because Stanford already has so much money that any incremental uh, dollars you send them are irrelevant. So therefore, you do very little, if any, damage if you send money to Stanford. Um, but uh, so I, I'm going to deny everybody points, and this, uh, this game remains tied. We only have a couple more questions left. The next one's a, the next one's a little bit difficult, all right? Um, but it's something that I've been trying to figure out for quite some time, and because I didn't play quarterback ever, uh, I don't know the answer to it. I want to go back to USC Notre Dame, 2005, fourth and nine. Obviously one of the not only most famous plays in USC history, but one of the most famous plays in, in college football history. Matt Leiner audibles to a fade on fourth and nine. Why, Kevin? Why did he do that? What did he see that made a low percentage fade the right decision when everything, and I mean everything, was on the line with just one play to get nine yards? You know, he, he didn't see an opening. Uh, he, he just said, I'm going to go with uh, the, my best move, because it was to the left side, by the way, as you recall, uh, to the best player, uh, against a Notre Dame team that was uh, playing a, a softer look 
uh, and he anticipated a, uh, a blitz, and there was actually on that play. Uh, not a strong blitz, but a, but a, a pressure blitz, kind of a read. And, uh, and when you look at that throw, I'm telling you, it's about an 18-inch box he threw that into. It's impossible. It's an impossible throw. It's not a possible catch. It, it's a crazy audible. It's not even audible. That was a sight, sight change. Um, it wasn't called. It was just a sight change. And it's just remarkable, and it's one, to, and you're right, Chris, uh, I'll just not forget that. I, my, I was slack-jawed when he did that. DR, what do you think? Yeah. What was Leinart seeing? Why did, he, why did he go with the fade on fourth and nine? Well, my vantage point is a little different because now I'm, I'm looking at it from the defense's perspective, much like UKB. But I saw it differently. I saw what Liner saw. Liner saw them line up in what assumed to be a cover two shell, two high safeties, and an, a cornerback on Dwayne Jarrett that was cheating inside. They, they, he expected that Dwayne was going to run like an inside, like either a slant or um, like an inside post. So he was cheating his leverage point. And when, when Jarrett saw that, there is, there is one spot on a football field that is impossible if, uh, for a defender to, to, to find, and that's 21 yards down the field. At 21 yards from, the, from the, the line of scrimmage down the field in the corner, it's impossible for a safety who was on the hash that has to respect the middle of the field by backpedaling three, three yards and then opening his hips, and a corner who's lined up about five yards at four and a half can get uh, the reroute. It's impossible for that corner to retreat underneath and for that safety to get over the top. So whatever the route was, was changed to a fade. And when Jarrett saw that, he, it seemed like he gave the, the, the defender a little inside move just to freeze his feet. The, the, the corner failed to get his hands on Jarrett. That allowed for that free release up the sideline. And Matt put it, where he always puts it in pre-practice, and he always puts it in a game-like situation or in practice. When they're doing a dress rehearsal before games, it landed at the only spot where either Jared gets it or it goes out of bounds. But it was the trust and confidence that they had in one another in that moment. It didn't matter what the circumstances were. They believed that that was the right play, and that's why they made that play. All right, guys. I'm going to deny points for both of you on this, and here's why. The, the real answer to this question is divine providence. If you watch that replay, it's not that Jared, it's not that Jared had a lot of room. He didn't. As Kevin pointed out, it's about an 18-inch window, and I think actually that the ball went through the Notre Dame player's body. I don't even think – I think it actually went through him and it was divine intervention because the right team had to win that game. It was one of those times in human history where good is battling against evil and good has to win. And that's why it happened. It was not the right call. You don't run, you don't run the fade. It's too low a percentage play. Um, it's, it's the wrong call, but Matt had no choice. It was, it was preordained that he would do that and that it would be successful. You know, you know what's interesting about that? Um, everyone talks a lot about um, in the end zone of Notre Dame, you see the, um, the resemblance of touchdown Jesus. Well, before, uh, one year Pete traveled to the Vatican and took a picture of, of Pope Francis at the time. 
And so before the Notre Dame game, and I imagine he did this to, to, to Matt's team that year, while many people talk about touchdown Jesus, he showed a picture of Pope Francis holding up the peace sign or what we perceive to be fight on. So he says, while Notre Dame may have touched down Jesus, we have the Pope, so fight on. So if there was any divine intervention, I, I'm sure that, that um, those that, that the parties that may be were straddling the fence. But you're absolutely right. If he tried to do that play any other time, it either gets deflected or falls out of bounds. It was just a remarkable play from two heroic players. Well, and ironically, I was hoping to see that against Texas on fourth and three in the Rose Bowl. Um, Kevin, you just lost. Why do you want to go there, <laughs> Kevin? Kevin, you just no. I literally I, I, go with it, brother. But I'm just telling you, I was looking for that kind of a, a sight change in that um, that situation. All right, <laughs> I have I have some I have some comments on that, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go there because it's gonna put me in a really dark place, and I don't right. want to do that. Uh, Daryl, you now lead by ten points uh, because Kevin has been docked ten points for bringing up Texas when it wasn't asked for in the question. Uh, so we have we have one question left, and uh, we're gonna start. Uh, Whose turn is it to start? I, you know what? It doesn't matter. Daryl's up. It doesn't end. matter. That's and right. so he's going he's gonna to go first. That way Kevin gets extra time to think about his answer. Here's your question, Daryl. Last question of the day. You are named USC head football coach for one day. What do you change? I fire myself. I resign. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that if, if, if I'm named USC's head coach, that means I'm having an outer body experience and I'm Clay Hilton. I, I, I resign. <laughs> that's what I do. But if I'm not Clay Helton, the first thing that I do is I change the way that we go about practice. And I change the way that we go about how we meet as a team. And I think if you start in those two areas, which it appears as though that they're doing, I think that you will start to see systemic changes. But if you don't change those things, fundamentally how you meet as a team offensively and defensively and how you communicate, I don't care who you bring on this coaching staff. The discourse will remain. So, but I'm going to stick with my first answer. If, if I'm having an out-of-body experience and I'm Clay Hilton, I'm firing, my, I'm resigning because I feel that I'm incapable of leading this program, and I think it should be in the hands of an adult. There you go. All right, Kevin. One day as USC head football coach, you got 24 hours. What are you going to change? Yeah, I change the contract to to a lifetime uh, coaching job, and they get it right. That's it's time to, to, to Daryl's point. It's time for for let's get real, let's get serious, let's play some football for crying out loud. I'm sick and tired of the you know the pushing and shoving and grabbing and jumping off sides and just the, the lack of discipline, which is a lack of will, which is a lack of focus, which starts with the leadership, which starts with the head coach. That gets fixed. The team gets fixed. It's not a problem with talent. It's not even a problem with scheme. It's at the leadership level. All right. So interesting. Both of you, both of you hit on some of the same points, but if I understand it, Daryl's position is he would immediately resign, and Kevin's position is he would sign himself to a lifetime contract. Um, and so just on the boldness of the answer, Kevin, you get 10 points, and today's, 
Today's contest is a tie. <laughs> this is this is old school tie too. We we don't have overtime. We, you don't get the ball to twenty five. It just ends in a tie. Guys, thank you for doing this. I thought it was uh, I thought it was a great exchange. A lot of great memories. Um, so thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. Well done, and uh, it was a pleasure. And, and Daryl. We will meet again, my friend. Oh, I'm still waiting for the rematch. This can't be over. I I don't believe in ties. This is not a participatory trophy. (laughs) Well, it is today. All right, gentlemen, that's it. We'll do it uh, next time on Conquest.